This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. I invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 as we begin studying again the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to begin here and then continue on in other places in the New Testament and Old Testament as we talk about joy as a fruit of the Spirit this morning. Uh, if you want to read the words off the screen, they'll be uh, displayed there. Also, if you want to use the Version app, you can search under events for Parkview Finley and find scripture and sermon notes within the Version app as well. Let's begin reading in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. These words from Paul are a great reminder to us of the, the way the Spirit works in our hearts, producing this, this fruit in our lives. Jesus also uh, used this kind of language to talk about the way that he works, the, the, the condition of our hearts, and the result that, that shows up in life. He talked about trees and, and fruit. And so as we begin this morning, I thought it would be fun for us to have a little visual quiz. It's a pop quiz because you're not prepared, but I am. So we've got some pictures of trees for you. I want to see if you can identify the trees based off a picture. Here's the first picture. Probably not difficult. Any suggestions? It's a cherry tree. Great job, Jim. Uh, now, my grandparents had a cherry tree in the side yard of their house, and when we would go visit my dad's parents, we would spend a lot of time outdoors running, playing, and they had, uh, I would climb trees a lot, and I climbed the tree next to their cherry tree. Uh, the cherry tree was, was a special tree. We didn't climb that one, but I just thought it was cool that we could go out and get cherries any time off that tree. It's a, a great thing. Here's, here's the next tree for you. A little easier, maybe, an orange tree. Good job. This is one of the true joys of driving to Florida to see family is we get closer and we see the, the orchards and the groves of, of citrus, just the, the, the deep green of the leaves and the bright, the bright orange of the orange. I just love seeing those. It's, just, it's fun for me. The next one is a softball. If, you, if you're feeling down about not getting the first two, this one should lift your spirits a little bit. Yeah, banana tree. They're, they're pretty easy to spot, the palm leaves and the giant clump of bananas that hangs down. The next one is a bit of a stumper, though. See if you can get this one. Here's a hint. We talked about this fruit last week. Mango tree. And what surprises me about mango trees is how low the fruit hangs down out of the tree. Like the tree is, is taunting you to come and pick its fruit. It looks like a trap. Like, it, like in, in a, a movie, this would be the point in which your life is going to be put into danger by this tree. But it's just like daring you. Eat my fruit. Come on, try it. The last tree I want you to see is a bit of a, is a trick question in our quiz. Here's the, here's the story. My wife loves crepe myrtles. She says to me, for my, my birthday, I think it was, she said, I want a crepe myrtle tree for our yard. And, and the crepe myrtles grow in the south. So we found a, a, a variety of crepe myrtle that's hardy that will, that will grow in our region. And uh, I looked it up and was ready to purchase it for her, and it, it was the wrong season. They were out of stock, unavailable. I said, okay, well, next year when, when the season rolls around, I'll buy you one of these and plant it. Months went by. She said, hey, do you remember when you said you were going to buy a, a crepe myrtle tree? I was like, 
Um, I do now. It was for Mother's Day, right? No. <laughs> it was my birthday, and you didn't do it. Okay, so she showed me the site where we, we were looking at the trees, bought this crepe myrtle tree, had it shipped in, and I, I did the, what the instructions said. I dug a hole twice as big as the root ball, put in soil and, and peat moss and layered that in, set the, set the tree, you know, patted things down, put mulch to hold the moisture, did everything. And this is what we have right now. Now, they said it's, it's good, it's guaranteed, it's green under the bark, it's just dormant, but it, it'll, it'll start producing leaves soon. But unless you're an expert, you can't, you can't tell what kind of tree that is. Maybe if you're an, an arborist or a landscape expert, you can look at the bark and the structure of the branches and say, now that is going to be a crepe myrtle. I mean, it is a crepe myrtle, but you're going to be able to see it soon. But, but without the, the leaves, without the fruit, how do you know what kind of tree that is? It, it's, it's really hard to tell. Here's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 7, every, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. His point's clear. That the fruit that shows up in our lives is a reflection of what's, what's going on in our hearts. And sometimes... We need those visual things that we can see and hear, those tangibles, to get in touch with what's going on. Think about this. Have you ever been in a surprise moment? Uh, you're walking through the house in the middle of the night, and you stub your toe. You are working on something around the house, and you smash your hand. You walk into a dark room and turn on the light switch, and someone is there jumping out to surprise you. A word just pops out. A word that you didn't intend to say, that you definitely didn't want to say in front of that person, and yet there it is. And you think, where did that come from? Why, why, why did I say that? Maybe there's, maybe there's a, a, a bit of information that you have rolling in the back of your mind. Information that someone has shared with you, very personal. And, and it's, it's, just, it's just rolling back there, just churning. And, and in another conversation, you happen to let that out. Oop. And you know this is not the right place to share. This is not the person that I should be talking to about. This is, this is private information. Yeah, there it is. Why, why did I do that? And you begin to investigate that, that, that answer. Where did that come from? And you, you pull back the layers, and, and you discover there's this, this tension, this frustration, this irritability, this, this sense of being discontent boiling under the surface. And, and the fruit that's out there that people can see and hear it is a reflection of what's going on inside. And it, it actually helps you see that, yeah, there's, there's some work to be done here. Now let's turn that coin over. What about when you're, in, when you're in a very stressful situation? There's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, a deadline maybe. And, and people around you are, are at the end of, of their rope. They're short with each other. They're saying hurtful, negative comments, criticizing one another. But you're not. You don't, you're not affected by what, what's happening around you. And, and in fact, you, you find yourself saying encouraging things. Like, we, you can do that. It just, let, let's work together. We can get this done. And, and out of you is coming something, words that maybe you don't know where they're coming from. And again, you, you want to investigate. What, why, why did I say that? Where did that come from? And as you, as you dig, 
what you discover is that it's not because you are such a great person. <laughs> You're actually as frustrated and tired as everybody else. You, there's no more strength and, and, and energy left in you, but there's something more. There, there's, no more there's no more patience that you have in this situation than other people have, but as you dig, you, you discover there's something more. That it's, the, it's the spirit, the indwelling spirit of God working in you, producing these things that aren't, aren't from you, they're from him. That's the fruit. That's the things that people see and hear. Well, those are the things that people see and hear in us that are a reflection of what's happening inside. And it's, a, and it's an incredible moment to realize how God is working in you by his spirit and working through you accordingly to influence and affect and encourage and pour out into the lives of the people around you. When we live according to the spirit, when we allow him to produce fruit in our lives, we'll notice a couple of things. One is the fruit makes life significant. The, the, the color, the flavor, the texture of fruit present in our lives adds so much. And two, fruit in our lives affects our hearts. And, and as we surrender, as we, as we see the Spirit growing that fruit, producing that fruit in our lives, we'll feel the difference that he's making in our hearts. The fruit we're going to talk about today is joy. And joy truly is the fruit of the Spirit that, that lifts and sustains our hearts with the joy that comes by the power of the Spirit. If we seek to understand joy more clearly, and we ask Webster what he would say, Webster would say that joy is an emotion evoked by well-being, success, good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Webster says, joy comes from things outside of you. Circumstances, things, people. He would say that joy comes from temporary things. And joy, by definition, doesn't last because it depends on those things remaining present in your life. If we look in Scripture to discover the fruit of joy that's produced in us, Scripture tells us something completely different than Webster. Scripture tells us that the fruit of joy is, is an inner rejoicing that sustains us because it comes from an eternal source. It is unending joy that lifts our spirits and that instead of being a reaction to the things around us, it actually affects the things around us as it pours out of our lives. It's an, an incredible realization that when we turn to the Lord and allow his joy not only to be present, but to pour out of our lives, it continues to flow. It continues to be expressed as we celebrate that joy and others experience it through us as well. Because the joy's foundation is from God. And here we recognize the difference between a joy that we try and cultivate and grow in our lives and a joy that the Spirit produces in us, the fruit that, that's present in our lives because he's working in our hearts. And we see just how different those, those kinds of joy are. We, it, it, sometimes it, it requires us to take a real honest look inside. Uh, uh, and while we do that, we have to, to be honest with ourselves. And we think about how much we've been trained with that definition of joy, to look outside of ourselves for joy in other places. We think, well, maybe it's, maybe it's things that, that provide joy. And so we start to buy more things. Well, is, is joy found here? I feel better having these things. But it, it's a joy that doesn't last. Is it a joy of having the newest and nicest things? Well, maybe for a few moments, but then 
those new nice things aren't new and nice anymore. Uh, about everything becomes obsolete 10 minutes after you buy it. There's something newer and nicer and better. And that joy is short-lived because then there are other emotions that replace that joy as you long for something more. Maybe, maybe you have to complete the collection. Having all of something will bring joy. Well, there's just more to collect. Maybe, maybe it's security and having layers of things, a pantry full of things. So if you run out, you, you're, you're certain that there's more. But eventually you'll get to those things as well. That kind of joy is temporary. We're, we're, we were never meant to find our joy in those things. Even though things can make life easier, they're not our source of joy. Maybe you think about looking to accomplishments for joy. You, you think about, about the fulfillment that comes from excellence, working hard and being good at what you do. That, that's that's a, a joyful moment, right? But what happens when your excellence still doesn't yield success? While you're doing well, you're not, you're not meeting benchmarks. You're, you're, you're falling short of quotas. But even though you're working hard and doing well, so, so maybe it's not just excellence. It's excellence plus success. That's joy. Well, what about the other people you're working with who are also successful? But maybe the guy in the next cubicle, his numbers are better than yours. Yeah, sure, you're both meeting quota. You're both, you're both finishing the project, but he's doing it better than you are. Well, that's not joy. So now maybe I have to be excellent, successful, and better than him in order to have joy. How long will that last? About as long as you, it takes you to hear about the guy at the other branch or the headquarters who's not only successful, beating your numbers, he's got the best numbers. So now I add to my excellence, success, and betterness a desire to be the best. And that joy will last, won't it, if I'm the best? Well, only until somebody else comes along. We were never meant to find lasting joy in those moments of accomplishment. Yes, they're fulfilling. But we need to look to something greater to find true, lasting joy. Maybe, maybe that's in relationships. Maybe, maybe people should be the thing that I look to. It, it, it's, it's fulfilling. It, it, it's good. It's right to have healthy relationships. It, it brings a sense of wholeness to us. And yet... Those relationships were never meant to bring lasting joy. Think about what it would do to your relationships if you looked at your spouse, if you looked at your friend with this idea that they are meant to bring you joy. Now, yes, your time spent with them is joyful. That's, it's fun. But, but what if you looked at them as if they are your source of lasting joy? Think about the weight of expectation that you're throwing onto someone to say, we're, we're together so that I can be happy so that I can be joyful. What does that do to them? It changes their whole purpose. You are now demanding from them that, that they continue doing things that make you happy. And if you find yourself without joy, you have someone to blame for not doing the things that, that bring joy to you. And so now your relationship is an entirely selfish expression that you enter into to get joy from. That's not what relationships were made to do. We were not never intended to look to those relationships as our source of unending joy. We're going to care for people in relationships and build them up and encourage them. And yes, there's joy in that experience, but it's not meant to be our place of lasting joy. If we're going to discover where that true joy comes from, let's go back to the beginning of that joy. Joy fills us as God works in us. 
and let me, let me make sure I'm specific about this. If we go back to the source of that joy, the beginning of that joy in our lives, it is the moment of salvation when the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and begins to produce that fruit, begins working in us. And we discover the fruit of that Spirit, joy in our lives. That is the moment that it begins. It is an occasion that we can think back to and remember, right? You think back to the, the moment of your salvation, the moment that you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior, confessed your faith in him, repented of your sins, were baptized in his name. That, that's joyful. You, you think about the changes that took place in you, the, the, the change of, of purpose uh, from seeking after sins and living in relationship, the, the change of status from, from being guilty to, to being set free and forgiven. The, the, the change that, uh, of being raised to new life as, as your old sinful self was laid to rest in the waters of baptism. Think about the joy. That, that Yes, it's a moment that you remember, but it doesn't spike and then go back to normal. It's a moment that sustains you with that joy. That's what we're talking about. Peter wrote these words in, in chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, his first, uh, first letter. He said, though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Joy is found in our relationship with the Lord. And that's when and how God works through us, producing joy by the power of his spirit indwelling our lives. We, we remember and celebrate those moments of joy and continue living in that joy as our relationship grows, as we understand him more, as we live according to that relationship. We live for him and see how that joy sustains us in the turning of our lives connections we develop with the church. And that's an important piece for us to understand as well. Not only does, does joy fill us as God works in us, it multiplies as we share in the faith of others. As, as, as joyful as the moment is of our own salvation, there's, there's incredible joy in, in sharing in the faith of other people. And we think back to, to moments of celebration we have as a church of baptisms that we, we share in together, celebrating with people as they, they accept Christ as Lord and Savior. We, we celebrate with people who are placing membership here and connecting with the body of believers. We celebrate those moments. They're full of joy as we congratulate people, encourage them, and help them grow. Think about the, the joy then again as, as you recognize your responsibility in helping someone come to accept Jesus Christ, of sharing the gospel and encouraging and, and guiding and, and answering questions. The joy that you have connected to a person that God has allowed you to draw to the Lord. That's, that's a, an incredible moment that we share in with them. Paul wrote letters to the churches in the New Testament, and he consistently shared his joy with them in response to their faith. First Thessalonians chapter 3, he says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress, persecutions, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you're standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. As we live our lives together as a church, sometimes we forget about these truths. We get distracted. We shift our focus to, to other things. 
But we should never forget about what it means to, to belong to a church together, family, bound together in love, worshiping the Lord together. The joy we share together multiplies as we encourage one another to grow in faith. We have a tendency to, to get distracted from that by, by our own emotions. And very often our emotions drive our spiritual experience. And we think about coming to church. And as we come to church, we have this expectation to be filled. That what we get on a Sunday morning is going to carry us through the week until we come back to church the next week and get filled again. And we begin viewing our time together, worshiping, listening, participating, as a means of being filled. Now, that, that does happen, but it was never meant to be the purpose of our worship is the result of our worship. The, the purpose of our worship is not about us, it's about him. And when we, when we come together as a church, focused on me, on what I want, on what, what I should feel and what I should get, we are missing the joy that comes from, from encouraging one another, from celebrating together, from growing together in the Lord, from, from connecting with people in a, in, a, in a meaningful and tangible way, of having, having real, genuine, meaningful conversations that go, go below the surface where we talk with people about life, about what's going on, about difficulties, and we encourage one another, we care for one another, we pray for one another, sometimes even help with the difficulties. When we choose to be involved, and we grow together in, in groups, in, in Bible studies and connect groups, and, and we live life next to one another, and we discover common ground that we share, and a joy that's present as we, as we live our lives for the Lord, growing in these relationships. So that joy comes from investing, from being present, from valuing people. Think about the joy that comes from serving together, standing side by side, focused on something else, focused on the kingdom, focused on, on other people, working for a common purpose. It's an uplifting, encouraging experience. It's, it fills us with such joy and fulfillment, knowing that we are, are living for something outside of ourselves. That is what church is about of worship is about, of coming to a place no longer focused on me, but pointing our perspective outside of ourselves to, to invest in care for people so that we can see how God will, will use us. And we thrive in that purpose. We discover more and more. And think less and less about self. Instead of sitting alone, separate from people, we look forward to sitting next to our friends and family, sharing our experience of faith together. We, look, we make plans to eat lunch together after church so we can talk more and invest more. And we're not coming to receive and leave. We're coming to invest and grow and celebrate the joy that happens together. Joy multiplies in us as we celebrate faith together. Joy also grows even when we face difficulty. James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let me ask you this. When is it hard for you 
to maintain joy. Now, I don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to be a jerk today. I, I just feel like being, being rude to everybody. So that's me. That's me today. I'm going to criticize you. I'm going to tear you down. That's, that's just the point of my life. No. But there are days when I get to lunch and I start to think and, and, and I, I realize I haven't, I haven't smiled today. I don't, I haven't laughed with anybody about anything today. I feel the lack of joy. And that's not a great place to be. What, what is it that brings us to those moments? Sometimes it's overwhelming difficulty, tension, uncertainty. And that, that really defines our world today. Everything we're hearing and seeing is about uncertainty, upheaval. It's, it's hard to be joyful in those moments. Maybe, maybe uh, in the middle of, of tension in a relationship, where you're in the midst of an argument that isn't finished yet. Those are hard moments to have joy. Maybe when you're living in the past and, and your thoughts are focused on regret, failure, guilt. Those aren't joyful moments. But we go there. Maybe it's when you're facing personal attacks. Your character is in question. Those aren't joyful moments either. Those are difficult moments. Moments when you realize an end of your joy. That your joy is measured, it's temporary. And so if joy can be taken away from us, and if we, we surrender joy to these things, how can we find a joy that will carry us through, that will lift us above, that will elevate our perspective and our thoughts and our lives? Where do we find that joy? Have we been looking in the wrong places? Instead of looking to my relationship, success, my own pride, reputation for joy, I need to, to surrender that to God and, and seek Him and allow the Spirit to work in me to no longer react to, to those things that, that, that end my joy, but instead to allow Him to fill me in such a way that I'm bringing joy to those situations. I'm affecting those circumstances with His joy that's flowing out of me. That's what the Spirit provides us in those moments of difficulty. A, a better perspective, a, a greater purpose, a deeper understanding. Why? Because we're growing through those difficulties. When we depend on the Lord in trials and tests, we discover a connection with God it's so much deeper, so much more meaningful than we could ever have experienced in times of, of ease and peace because we're dependent on him. Because we then discover how much his power and strength resides on us, how much his joy carries us through. Because we, without a doubt, can say, I'm at the end of my rope. This isn't me at all. It's him. And we surrender to him. We surrender our pride and our, and our strength. We surrender our weaknesses. We surrender our sin. We surrender to his joy. And we see how much he does, how much he can do 
and we discover there's nothing in this world that we cannot endure without his help. That's, that's what maturity looks like, according to Scripture. That's what maturity brings us to as we, as we let go of our desire to control, of our desire to succeed and accomplish. As we surrender that to God and let him work in us, as we let him work through us, pouring out his joy into the world around us, we become mature. Depending on him, that's maturity. Trusting him, it's so difficult, but that's, that's where we discover the value that comes, especially through hardship and difficulty, because he's growing us and developing us and maturing us through that, through those moments, through that difficulty, to surrender ourselves and be totally dependent on him. That's where our joy grows. And as we discover this unending joy that flows out of our lives, we look to express that joy. And we express that joy to the Lord in worship. And, and here's where we, we then fully define that worship experience that we have together uh, of celebrating God for all of who he is, of lifting up his name and acknowledging his greatness, his glory, his majesty, his beauty, his power, his strength. All of those things we lift up and acknowledge, that's worship. We do that with music. We have rhythm and, and, and melody and harmony and instruments. But the point of all that is to lift up the name of God. We worship with our voices singing. We worship with our voices talking about the greatness of God, telling people about the greatness of God. We worship through our prayers and our thoughts, lifting high the name of God. We worship through our actions. We worship in a variety of ways, but all of it is pointed at him. Psalm 28 says this, Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song I praise him. These are the words of David who learned to depend on God through all the difficulties that he faced. And, and here's his perspective about God. He is trustworthy. He is strength. He is shield. And we can lift up his name and honor him for everything that he does with joy flowing out of our hearts. David understood what it was to absolutely trust and to lift the name of God high, knowing that God would deliver him in in and through his difficulty. That's a, that's a theme we see throughout Scripture. The deliverance that God brings to his people. Deliverance of God. In the Old Testament, we read about the, the people of Israel who, because of their sin, faced difficulty. They were killed in battle. They were taken captive. They were impoverished. They were pressed and crushed and enslaved. And when they realized that, that that difficulty was the result of their sin. They cried out to God for deliverance. And when God delivered them, they rejoiced in what he was doing in their lives. They declared the greatness of God, and the people around them, even people who did not know and worship God, saw the joy pouring out of their hearts as they rejoiced in the name of the Lord, as they praised him and worshiped him. It made an impact in the world around them. We turn to the pages of the New Testament and we see the deliverance of God at hand. Not so much a physical deliverance like he was doing in the Old Testament, a spiritual deliverance that he accomplished through his son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life on the cross. Pay for our sins, to bring about grace and forgiveness, to wash away the stain of sin in our lives with his blood. And we find in him a deliverance 
that frees us from our captivity to sin, the bondage that we submit to when we choose sin, the bondage that, that holds us down when, when we when we accept habits and addictions. When we value that over our relationship with God, we bind ourselves to those sins. And what we find in Jesus is freedom, deliverance from that spiritual condition, freedom to live for him, freedom to find new life, new hope, new purpose. That's the joy that we have in Jesus. That's brought about in our hearts through the presence of the Holy Spirit.